0: It's the TEH podcast, episode number 200 with Leo Notenboom of ask.leo.com and Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com.
1: This week, 200 episodes. Are they listening to your keyboard and facial recognition?
0: Hey Gary, how's it going? Hey Leo, pretty good, pretty good.
1: Hey, congratulations. Not, yeah, on, you the 3, well. th- not yeah. on the Not on the 3000 we talked about last week, but on the 200. Um, this is the two hundredth episode of the teh podcast and as a reminder, teh um, originally started uh, st- stood for tech enthusiast hour um, and you know we definitely try to continue to be enthusiastic and we we kind of aim for an hour, but we decided <laughs> to just call it teh at uh, some point and here we are uh, two hundred yeah, episodes maybe. later
0: two hundred episodes I think uh I, I think I may have missed one. Back when we had more than just you and me yes. as hosts, I think there was one that I couldn't make.
1: I think I, I had the exact same thought earlier today as when we had more hosts. I think there was like one, maybe two, that I've missed. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yes, for the podcast itself, it's, it's 200.
0: 200, and that was uh, November 2017 was episode one and I took a look at episode one just to see uh-huh. what it was uh-huh. we were talking about. Sure. And the name of that, we used to have, uh, I guess we tried to always come up with funny names, but, um, you know, now we do more descriptive ones, but the name was, uh, I for one welcome our new AI overlords. <laughs> and
1: <laughs> Which and, is almost prescient, you know?
0: <laughs> I know it's interesting. So we were talking about AI from episode one and, um, of course, we also. I think we spent more time in that first episode talking about where that phrase c- came from. Welcome our new ex overlords, mm-hmm. and that originally came from The Simpsons. Strangely enough, uh, the uh, then it, it didn't spend that much time talking about AI. But the funny thing is, is, is I think you know what AI is has actually changed, especially recently, and the idea that six years ago. Uh, you know, AI would be this colossus kind of thing, whereas if we achieved it, then it would be something is like, is it going to take over the world? Is it smarter than us? Is it, you know, that kind of thing? Whereas now with the large language model AI being in the news so much, I think the definition of what the general public understands as AI has shifted a little bit over. I think plenty of people still think it's Terminator, right? Um, but I think a lot of people are also sort of getting, oh, so AI is really just the thing you can just chat with and it could do your homework for you or something. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I mean, I think that's kind of true, but it is funny to think that uh, maybe some of the danger has been taken away there because we talk a lot about AI, like, uh, you know, it's often wrong. You know, large language model AI, you, you ask it, uh, an answer for something and it will give you something that's wrong. Uh, it will, sometimes take content from somewhere else. And it's like, Oh, is it stealing content from creators? Uh, you ask for pictures to be drawn and you get people with six fingers, uh, um, <laughs> a lot of stuff like that, that kind of maybe takes the edge off of the overlords kind of situation.
1: Kind of. Although yeah. I think a lot of people, first of all, I was going to say that we talked about AI, you know, mm-hmm. six years ago, but, LLM, large language model. That's the term that that basically just cropped up, like within the last yeah. nine months, right? yep. when this all when this all exploded. I do think that um, the mistakes, uh, the hallucinations, as they're called, often in the text-based um, chats. Um, yeah, I think it tells people that you know, yes, this isn't perfect, and it's not going to take over the world today. But um, I think we're also seeing enough of a trajectory where people see it improving and so i don't think it's completely alleviating the uh, the concerns yeah. about it being um not just misused but i think there's still um uh, uh, a concern i suppose uh, about the old overlord scenario the concern is different depending on how deeply you understand the complexities involved um you know, you, you know it's it's from my perspective well sure ai could simulate being sentient which is really all that's necessary for it to be sentient enough Um, but uh, that's a long long ways away and i think that a number of people are still concerned that it's you know next week
0: yeah exactly and and i think if anything it's the definition of ai or the not not technical definition but perceived definition that's changed it's almost like you know if you go with like the idea of uh you know uh a lot of times like pinocchio is brought up you know po- pinocchio becoming a real boy it's like right. ai coming alive we you know pinocchio is still not a real boy but a lot of people are being like you know the puppet is fine <laughs> The puppet actually can do some things right um, Right. so uh yeah it, it's kind of interesting so we, we've in a, in a way we've i think ai may be like the one story that has stayed uh at kind of the top of our podcast through all 200 episodes,
1: and I honestly, I think it will for some time because yeah. you know there's so much potential here, uh, good and bad, uh, but there's also so much room for growth. You know the 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 fact that it is continually improving, I think, is going to continue to surprise all of us uh, in the coming months and years.
0: Right, and and another story in that that first episode was, um, are there too many streaming services?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: so you know, so, so it's hard to believe it's, I mean, six years ago, less than six years ago, yeah, they were talking about, are there too many then? And of course there are many more now, many more yes. big ones in particular, because a lot of the, I looked at the article we were referring to, and there were a lot of really small streaming services that weren't a big deal then. They're not a big deal now. They may not even exist now, Could but be. the list of like major ones that, right. you know, if you stopped If you stop somebody on the street and you ask them to, you know, what is Hulu? What is Disney Plus? What is Paramount Plus? You know, everybody would recognize these as streaming services. Whereas back then, if you looked at the top ten, most people would not have any idea what some of them were, except for like Netflix and Hulu. I think we're we're there. Hulu, strangely, is about to go away, right? That's going to be rolled into Disney Plus, I believe, at the end of the year. So uh, maybe before we actually reach our six-year anniversary. Uh, one of those will be gone, and Netflix will be the only original one still standing. I think. Right, right. But there's well,
1: some of them have been at least renamed. I mean, Paramount renamed, Plus yeah. is is really just CBS All Access with a new name.
0: Yes, good point. But
1: but um but yeah yeah the 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 landscape is absolutely changing, and I think that one of the things that's driving that change, of course, is that now you know, six years ago. Nobody knew what the revenue model was. Nobody knew what what um how these services were going to make money. Nobody understood that, you know, maybe they might may, might might make money uh by not paying residuals, <laughs> like <laughs> like normal, like normal broadcast TV or movies did. Um, and of course, that's all in flux. So yeah, once again, yes. I think that there's a lot of things that are changing. Consolidation may be some of the result, uh, but it'll be interesting to see where it all leads. And again. Next few months, years will be very, uh, we'll see a lot of change, I'm sure.
0: Yep, indeed. So, so what's new? What's new and uh, that we could talk about instead of what happened 200 episodes ago?
1: Well, well, before we get to what's new, <laughs> I, new. I have to. Well, no, I, I
0: was to, got, I was trying to lead you into the well. I have, I have to talk about what's old. <laughs> yes, very um, old, even older than our podcast.
1: Even older than the podcast. It's not 3000. Um, and it's not 200, it's 20. Um, on when no, on Thursday, uh, August the 10th, that will be the 20th anniversary of Ask Leo. And I just had to uh, you know, throw in that plug. Uh, it's funny. Like you, I obviously uh, go back and take a look at what was I doing 20 years ago. And uh, oh my goodness. Has have things changed? Yeah. The um, the the marker for that anniversary, um, August the tenth, two thousand and three, was the first answer that I posted on Ask Leo, and that was um, a problem with the status bar in Internet Explorer six, a bug um, in IE
0: six. There yeah, they so have they fixed it yet?
1: So many. <laughs> Not unlike the streaming services, so many things about <laughs> yeah. that question just don't apply anymore. Yeah. Uh, not only did IE sex go away, uh, you know, after going through seven and eight and nine and ten and eleven, um, IE is long gone, uh, which is kind of funny. I keep the article on the site simply because it is that milestone article for me, but it's it's kind of fun when I take a look at some of the older articles uh, for back then. A large number of them actually are about technologies that are no longer current. Uh, In most cases, they are technologies that have simply fallen out of favor. Mm. In other cases, they are technologies that simply no longer exist. Uh, like AOL Instant Messenger or MSN Messenger, or uh, you know any number of other other tools and topics, and of course Windows 98. I was still answering questions about Windows 98 back then. Um, so yeah, it represents you know 20 years of progress, which is great. Uh, I did not do an article count. Uh, but I think it's up to something like 5,000, 5,600, something like that, um, articles on askleo.com. And uh, yeah, 20 years of just plugging away. I think we mentioned this last week to the, uh, you know, for the for the entrepreneurial spirits in our audience, uh, you know, the, the secret to be it, um, you know, 3,000 videos in your case, 200 episodes in, in TEH or 20 years for Ask Leo uh, is just showing up and doing the work. Every day, or, or exactly. whatever whatever the appropriate schedule is for you, but the, you know, it's it's continuing to do the work. Uh, there are ups and downs, absolutely. You and I have both ridden um, the uh, the search engine waves. Uh, You know, especially in the early days, Ask Leo was extremely dependent on Google search um, that has, uh, you know, gone up, it's gone down, it's gone up, it's gone down. The rules change right now. I feel fairly threatened by AI, not because of AI itself, but because of how Google is using it. Uh, But um, on the other hand, I started doing videos, which, you know, you did a long, long time ago, and uh, I'm finding that that might be a, uh, a good solution for me, as in fact, very coincidentally, uh, my traffic to the YouTube uh, channel is actually maybe hockey sticking a little, oh, uh, which which would be awesome because that would make me feel a whole lot better about, uh, you know, about the traffic that's going on in the text-based side on askleo.com. But you know what? These are the things that we have experienced over and over again over 20 years, and I hope to experience them over and over again in the next 10 or 20. So we'll see how it yeah. goes. Anyway, that's, yeah. you know. Yep.
0: Yeah. You got me curious because uh, if your first if your first uh, article was on a bug in IE six, um, we talked about my 3000th episode, but I never thought to look at what the topic of episode one was. Uh huh. And it was iPods in schools. <laughs> so <laughs> Apple no longer produces anything called the iPod. Yeah. And um, yeah, so. And it wasn't actually the first thing at MacMost. It was just the first in the that I labeled episode one for the series that mm-hmm. I'm now past three thousand on. There were uh, a couple dozen um, tutorials and other things that had been posted earlier in the year mm-hmm. as I was kind of finding my way with what sure. MacMost was going to be. But yeah, yeah, iPods and schools. I mean, hey, hey in a way, it's like yeah. I mean, apples and schools with iPads. Right, uh, particularly uh, even more, uh, you know, than i they were everywhere with iPods, but that was kind of interesting. IPod... It's funny because
1: one of the things that um, uh, we were both advised by, um, you know, the various pundits in our in our respective fields was to um, focus on so called evergreen content, yeah. right? content that you could publish that would be valid for uh, years to come. And in this industry, that's extremely difficult because so much is constantly changing. As you point out, you know, your first articles, my first articles, they don't really apply anymore uh, after 20 years. They were valid for a while. um, And then they, you know, they just very slowly didn't didn't apply anymore. It is one of the reasons, though, that I talk about uh, some of the uh, higher level concepts from time to time, Uh, you know, things about... uh, Skepticism and uh, general safety and attitude and you know uh, change resistance, those kinds of topics are absolutely evergreen, but they don't necessarily solve people's problems. And ultimately people's problems generally relate to current and very specific technology that in a year, or two years or five years or 20 years, uh, probably doesn't apply anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean, the evergreen content thing. It's tough to do in our field because believe me, we want to do it. Yeah, but things come up all the time that we just can't ignore. Right. And even if we know, okay, oh, there's some something happening, like oh, Apple's coming out with something new, or uh, you know, here's something to help you get through this transition, or you know, some other non-evergreen thing, like here's a bug in IE. Right. You know, um, <laughs> it's like we can't just ignore it because it's like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about that because in six months it won't be relevant it's like we need to talk about those things and then we also need to you know develop some evergreen content so it it really has to be a mix plus you know all the all the best intent, intended plans for creating evergreen content kind of go out the window when you have to produce content you know when you're like i'm going to do 5 videos a week um then it's like all right 5 evergreen yeah, video, yeah. you know, it's like, no, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, it's morning. I need an idea. I need to record, you know, do something.
1: Well, it's because interesting because fall behind. when you think about just, if we were just to focus on evergreen content, it, we would be completely different sites is what it would boil down to. And our fundamentally, I think the mission that we, we both kind of aspire to, uh, of actually helping people use the technology in front of them, uh, wouldn't be addressed as well. Because that, while there are evergreen concepts to that, uh, when it comes down to specifics, it's the specifics that change all the time, and it's the specifics that folks need the most help with. Mm. Uh, and so, like I said, if, if we were to truly try and focus on purely evergreen content, we wouldn't be who we are. Uh, we, you know, The sites wouldn't be, the services wouldn't be what they are today. And honestly, I suspect we wouldn't be nearly as helpful to the people um, that come to us uh, as we you know, hopefully are today.
0: Yep, indeed. So, so yeah, uh, a story that caught my eye, uh, this week is a security story and it's about a new way to steal your passwords or steal information. We actually talked somewhere years ago about the idea that uh, somebody could steal, um, what was on your screen by being in the next room and kind of you yes. can create a device that could like you know get especially with crts but kind of right. get like the way the 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 radio frequencies and things exactly the energy coming out of your screen get it in the next room and then kind of recreate what's on the screen this is similar to that in in that it's recreating what you're typing by listening to your keyboard with the idea that the you're, i i kind of interpreted it first as it you make a different sound when you are pressing different keys which i think is more likely than i think some of the stories about this have been talking about each key having a different sound i think it's a combination like i think the way your finger travels and you hit the q at the upper left as opposed to the p at the upper right mm-hmm. probably is a different makes more of a difference than actually the q and the p key you know mechanically
1: the other thing that comes to mind for me is that they, they mentioned this as being um, AI-based in at least right. one of the articles that I ran across. Well, that. yeah, I,
0: I think, yeah,
1: go ahead. Well, the, the other thing that plays into this, as much as the sound, mm-hmm. is the timing. Right. Uh, the the, the, the uh, cadence of your typing different words uh, is information. Uh, it may not be enough but it is information that can be learned and then perhaps combined with things like the sound of a keystroke uh, to allow AI to kind of sort of learn what these words sound like in terms of both literal sound and time.
0: Right. And I think the AI also works in terms of like correcting the the vocabulary. Like for instance, if it detects A-P-P-L-W, (laughs) the ai should be say oh probably apple right Right, right. we got almost all the letters right and we miscalculated with one letter but we're going to go and say you know apple makes sense because it's It's another use of
1: autocorrect yeah
0: yeah exactly (laughs) so i think that's a lot of that which is interesting um but, you know, so you're going to see this story a lot starting today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, uh, a lot of the article you were probably shake your head as well as me because a lot of the articles make it sound like, oh, now this is something you need to be worried about right away. Right. Like, people are, like, listening in on your home and trying to figure out, you know, what you're typing. And, you know, first of all, at least right now, it's kind of spy stuff. I do agree with what, you know, some of the stuff I've read, which is like, well, it's not like... they can develop apps right that could maybe listen to thousands of computers microphones and try to determine what people are typing by listening in on the microphone on the computer and so there could be malware that could listen in on your microphone so you know in other words it can be automated and like roboticized Mm -hmm. turned into this malware thing but of course if you could do all of that if you could take over the microphone take over the keyboard instead probably yeah exactly (laughs) and and also, so it's, it's kind of like, st- it, it's still and probably will remain spy stuff that right. most people, the vast majority of people don't need to worry about. And the people that do probably have IT departments and, and computer security departments that will handle this for them. Um, also, uh, you know, but, you know, people that are paranoid are going to love this stuff. Uh, also, you know, you can't listen in on a password if you don't type the password. And the thing is, you shouldn't be typing passwords. True. You should be using a password manager yep. that fills it in. Yep. So if and then, of course, there's two factor also, which throws on top of that, which it can listen in as much as it wants on the two factor code, and the two factor code is going to change. So, yeah, it, it's the kind of thing where it's like if you just use things that people like you and me have been telling people to use all along like password managers and 2 factor then this isn't really a concern even if mi6 or the cia was it, trying to listen in to guess the password to your facebook account for some such reason a,
1: such a great headline
0: yeah it is it is a, a really good headline <laughs> um it uh it but, it but funny i i put my paranoid hat on and tried to figure out okay what would people be saying about this mm-hmm. and it did occur to me that uh, i as you probably remember i'm not a fan of pass phrases i'm I, I don't believe in pass phrases for many other reasons besides this but it's another case against pass phrases that if you were typing a random password say a 13 character password and it's just random letters and numbers then ai wouldn't be able to know what to correct like if it got 10 out of the 13 perfect and three wrong, Right? it's just wrong, right? It's not going to be able to know which three are wrong. It's not going to be able to know what character it's supposed to be. But if you use past phrases and it's three words like pirate, dragon, universe, just looking at books on my bookshelf here, Uh um, then it could go and say, oh, well, dragon with an O, no, that's probably an A, and it could correct that. So actually it kind of makes it adds to my list of reasons that you should be using past phrases.
1: We should have that discussion sometime. We should. I don't. Because, I, don't uh, I don't recall the full list, and I think it would make for an interesting discussion because I just I recently put it. released a uh, an article uh, last week, actually, yeah. talking about um, not necessarily past phrases being better or worse than past words, but. Um, a lot of people misunderstand the combinatorics. Their their concern is that you know I've got sixteen characters in a password um, doesn't uh, isn't four char- four words isn't that easier for them to guess? Yeah. Um, and the short answer is no, for because math. But um, uh, the it's it's a case against pass phrases, but I don't think it's a very good one for you know all of the reasons we've been talking about. This not, just I've got isn't. much better ones this <laughs> this just isn't that scary a technology what's funny is you know i have envis- i have visions of this um being uh you know proof of concept is probably what they have but their proof of concept is probably uh, you know a very nice sensitive microphone probably a um, a directional shotgun microphone pointed at a keyboard uh from just a couple feet away That is, you know, then analyzing all the sound that comes from it. That is not the real world, right? The real world is uh, at best somebody across the room and at worst somebody out in the hall or in another room where they're just not going to pick that kind of stuff up. So it's interesting. It's spy movie stuff, like you say, but from my perspective, it's the spy movie stuff that we all look at and say, yeah, no. <laughs> it's not. You see that in movies all the time, where right. they're doing things that just don't make sense. And while this is closer, uh, yeah, no.
0: <laughs> cool. So in uh, the, in
1: that same vein, which is yeah. kind of interesting, um, I. Recently, I mentioned last week that I had taken a quick trip to the Netherlands, mm-hmm. and I don't recall, I, t- I took a quick look at the notes, I don't think I talked about facial recognition and how it was used on my return. Um, I signed up for, some years ago, uh, Global Entry, which is essentially uh, giving the government... Uh, permission to do, I assume, a deep background check on you to make sure that you're not a terrorist or or some kind of other problem, and they give you a special ID. You've got a different ID card, and um, you know a, there's a, a number. I think you associate with your um, your travel plans and all this good stuff. The goal is that uh, when you get off the airplane back in the United States after an international trip, there's a line for you. And a line for everybody else, and the line for you is shorter because there aren't as many people doing global entry, and faster. And it's the faster part that kind of surprised me this last time because, um, you know, I expected sure they'll probably not grill you quite the same way if you're part of the global entry program because in a sense they have a, a some level of prior established trust. But it's even better than that because. I have, like I said, I carry a global entry card in my wallet and I actually had it ready to pull out. I didn't have to. The global entry return uh, process is simply this. You walk up to a machine that uh, basically (laughs) looks you in the eye. It takes a, um, you know, looks at your face, uses facial recognition to identify you. That's it. You then walk over to the customs agent who asks you a question or two who already knows who you are, because that information is now showing up on his computer immediately. Mm. Uh, and then he you a couple of questions, usually the benign stuff, like, you know, what did you buy? What are you bringing? Uh, that kind of stuff. What are you bringing back into the country? And then it's have a good day. Uh, it's there, there was no paperwork. There was no, I, like I said, I didn't have to pull out my card. It was all based on facial recognition uh, to me. Uh, This is a wonderful use of facial recognition because it really does streamline a lot of things. Now, you mentioned the paranoids out there. Yes, the paranoids are, you know, of course, going completely nonlinear about this kind of stuff because, oh, my gosh, the government has your face. Um, They probably already have your face. But this is an opt-in program. You're making a choice. And I have opted in because I'm honestly not that concerned. However. There are other characteristics about me that make this somewhat more reliable. And to best explain that, I have to throw out another story that I saw this morning, which has actually been going on for a little while. Um, This is a woman who sues Detroit after facial recognition, mistakes her for a crime suspect. Now, I've got a link to the Washington Post article in the, uh, in the show notes. There are other articles. It shows up in multiple different places if, if the Washington Post is paywalled for you. But the bottom line is that, yes, the worst case scenario, they were using facial recognition to try and identify, uh, you know, in this case, I think uh a theft suspect but nonetheless a crime suspect of some sort so they show up at her door and they arrest her based on facial recognition alone Mm. that's a problem because they were wrong they were very wrong uh and it's not the first time uh the article that i read says that this has been happening uh, in detroit specifically where they're doing this uh it's happened like six times so far and that is a really, really bad scenario and certainly uh, shows that facial recognition has a very, very long way to go. Now, I said that I have an advantage or I have characteristics that apparently facial recognition does better with. And you can imagine what those might be. I'm a middle aged, I'm not even middle aged anymore, I just call it an old white guy. Hmm. And the, uh, you know, I'm old, I'm white, I'm male. Those are like the three things that uh, work in my favor when it comes to facial recognition. Uh, The individual, and apparently more than one individual uh, for whom this actually failed, were, of course, people of color. They do not do well in facial recognition. In other words, there's a lot of uh, misidentification as this shows. Uh, So what that really means to me is not that facial recognition is bad. It's that facial recognition isn't done. Um, It can be better. It needs to be better. And until it's better, um, it can't be trusted. Not to that degree. Uh, Certainly not for something as important as throwing somebody in jail or in this particular case, holding someone on $100,000 bail for something like 12 hours. And taking her away from her kids to, uh, while that was going on. Yeah. So, like I said, facial recognition, I see the promise it has. I've experienced the promise it has. It actually, um, if I remember correctly, they did something similar Uh, on my entry to the Netherlands. But there, I think it was not just facial recognition, but actually a facial recognition that allowed them to compare my face to what actually shows up in the passport because they still physically looked at my passport. But nonetheless, the stakes are somewhat lower there. This was much higher. And it's just a case of, you know what? Facial recognition is nice. Like a lot of AI, use it as a start, but don't use it as the only thing you're making decisions based on because you're going to be wrong too many times
0: mm. yep yeah i mean that was i mean yeah with your example they it's all they were doing is using it as a start they weren't just waving you through you still had to talk to somebody yes you know so and, and that's exactly what should have happened use it as a start in you know crime investigation but not to arrest somebody right um right. or detain or any you know any even inconvenience somebody it's funny because
1: the same is true for a lot of again another area that i see a lot of promise in ai is in the medical field right Mm -hmm. apparently it's doing a significantly better job of identifying certain types of cancer from x-rays which is great that's wonderful don't rely on it make sure that there's somebody or somebody's who actually takes another look at the information that's being processed to confirm that, yeah, the AI is getting it right. Uh, again, the decisions that end up resulting from those kinds of analyses uh, are too important to be left to AI in its current state. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff, but uh, lots of promise, but a ways to go. Yep. Cool. So One of the other things that came up, uh, again, just today, actually, there's an article in The Verge about how Google search is now apparently uh, checking your grammar. (laughs) <laughs> which which I thought was kind of interesting because if there's one place that I am more than willing to go grammatically incorrect, it's when I'm doing a Google search. But nonetheless, um, it is there's some kind of a grammar checker there that um, is going to apparently uh, start telling people when they're doing it wrong, I guess. Um, or maybe, maybe it'll do a better job of, uh, did you mean? Right when you misspell right now, it does a really good job of saying, "Hey, you know, you you misspelled this word, or did you really mean this other word over here?" Uh, and and do the search based on that. I use this as a jumping-off point because I've been using uh, Pro Writing Aid, which is a competitor to another popular service called Grammarly, that actually analyzes grammar in the written word. Uh, in specifics specifically when you are writing there's a couple of ways to use it but it can actually analyze your grammar in real time and make sure that you know in my case uh, my my big bugaboo is using the wrong uh, version of it it is its its or it apostrophe s my fingers will not get the message my brain knows the rule my fingers don't connect bottom line is tools like grammarly and pro writing aid can do that but Um, I actually don't use it in real time. I write my stuff the way I write my stuff. I've gotten better over the years. My editor has certainly helped me improve. And she also does a wonderful job of, like I keep saying, making me look like I'm a better writer than I really am. But uh, for example, for seven takeaways uh, where she's not involved, yeah, I'll plop the newsletter into Pro Writing Aid and walk through and correct those things that it has called out as needing correcting most of the time. I'll even say some of the time. Because again, much like AI, the AI we've been talking about um, or facial recognition, it's not Perfect, and you can't assume it's perfect. If you do assume it's perfect, you're going to have some really obvious errors in the text that you generate. So it's not enough to use these tools in isolation. It really does require some amount of uh, paying attention, of doing something to confirm that the suggestions that it makes uh, make sense. Uh, And sometimes it's obvious. Yep, you know, I really screwed that up. In other times, you know, no, I don't like that suggestion. I like it the way it is, but it's good to have the tool at least pointing you at the opportunities to improve your writing. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things that, again, technology is great. Technology can help, but it's another case of, please don't rely on it completely because you'll be making some more mistakes. You'll make different mistakes.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm always so amazed by how many mistakes people make um, particularly when it comes to reddit i I don't know what what, like why there are so many posts on reddit that are not just the like the body of the post which may be several paragraphs Mm -hmm. but just even the title which is in big bold text and it's like just a few words you you would think that with all the tools today you know when you type and how it corrects grammar and spelling mm-hmm. that there really shouldn't be any issues here and yet it's constant like so much it's it's obvious to me that people have turned off these tools maybe like completely turn them off i have no idea how there can be
1: i i have so a theory.
0: much great okay what's your theory
1: i have a theory mm-hmm. uh remember that the internet is global yeah And that the person asking or posting on Reddit, their machine may not be configured to use English. Oh, interesting. So what that means is they're winging it, right? They're doing the best they can with the knowledge they have without those tools to use as a crutch.
0: Um, Interesting. It doesn't explain why I see it in my local Reddit all the time.
1: I get oh yeah <laughs> So what, it's funny one of the one of the um, uh, the article that I'll be mentioning in um, uh, self-promotion later uh, is actually talks about some of the things that I've learned in my 20 years. and one of the things that I've learned and I've commented on it before is that people can't write. And it's very it's fascinating to me because the very first thing I thought of when I read your comment about Reddit is the international audience. One of the things that I seem to have developed is a reasonably good understanding of when I read a question that's been submitted to me, and the English is really, really bad, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Was this written by someone for whom English is not their native language? Right. Or is this someone who just can't write? Right. Mm -hmm. And they're different. They're absolutely different. And I absolutely try and cut the, uh, the ESL, the English as second language people a little bit more slack uh, because they've got an excuse. It's everybody else. And yeah, I suspect your local Reddit uh, falls into that category where these are people that really ought to know better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh but i mean it does explain when i look at say mac forums and stuff like that right, that is right, a right. really good hypothesis for why um why the grammar would be bad it's because they gra- the grammar in english is not being checked it, right. it's set for another language that makes a lot of sense And i hadn't thought of that before but yeah in the denver one i just don't i just don't get why <laughs> so so often and it now i see it in comments in questions that i get as well <laughs> but to a Far less amount. Like, I I, I just don't see it anywhere as much as I do generally looking at Reddit.
1: It's true. Uh, You know what? There's an observation that I hadn't made about my own content. I see it a lot more in the the, the random questions that I get. In other words, people mm -hmm. who perhaps come to me for the first time. The people that stick around, um, you know, my audience, and it Mm -hmm. sounds like your audience, they get it. They actually do a reasonable job of of doing this, so I suspect we just have smarter audience, is what it boils down to.
0: Oh, maybe. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess, and and like related to that, I often see um, people that don't know the standard like vocabulary to use when talking about computers or. Sure. A Mac's. Like a classic one is, is memory and storage, right? right. People yeah. use the term memory all the time. I got a new Mac. It's got 256 gigs of memory. No, it doesn't. I guarantee you it does not. <laughs> um, the, uh, so yeah. And, but even people saying like the bottom menu on my Mac, I'm like, do you mean the dock? It's, been the doc for like 20 years like since they created 20 years it's the doc you could not have seen anywhere anybody else calling it the bottom menu (laughs) so i mean you're describing it which is good i know what you're talking about but i'm still puzzled it's like wow you've never come across the term the doc you know it, it just i see that stuff a lot but grammatically it's, it's just amazing. I mean, even just, yes. not just it's and it's with the apostrophe <laughs> without, we're talking about like words that are just, that's not the right word, not even close, or the, the S is missing at the end of this word, or something is completely misspelled. Or, or The
1: words are just completely randomized in it, order. Yeah. Yes. It's
0: like, these are in the wrong, these words are in the wrong order. I think I know what you're talking about, but you've reversed a bunch. How did you manage to type it like that?
1: It gets um, a little bit more complicated too, because I get a lot of questions that aren't questions so they're just, you know, here's a bunch of information. Yeah. And that's it, right? I'm supposed to figure out what I'm supposed to do with that. I
0: I get that too. I like, I like ignoring that. Like somebody makes a statement and I'm like, okay, Okay. I guess they wanted the world to know about that. (laughs) I, I just go to the next one. I'm like, I think there's a question in there, but you know, uh, it's it's kind of, I've made it my job to answer questions. I have yeah. not made it my job to figure out what your question is. <laughs> That's so. one of the
1: things that I did come to a conclusion of long ago is because technology's terminology is difficult for the average consumer. It really is. There's a lot of things that you and I assume um, that I'll just say the average consumer doesn't know. My wife has been using her Mac for a couple of years. She has no idea that it's called a doc, nor does she necessarily need to. Mm -hmm. Um, if, If she has a question, I know what she means. And a lot of what I find myself doing, especially given the corpus of information that I now have on the website, is not only am I acting as a glorified search engine for my own content, but I'm also acting as a translator both for the questions coming in and the answers going out. Making sure that, uh, you know, yeah, there's a bunch of terms that apply to what you're asking about that you clearly don't know. So let's take a moment and make sure that A, A, you know, we, we gently teach you the terminology so that when you uh, approach me or anyone else, again, uh, asking something related, you'll at least be a step ahead in terms of using the correct terminology. Uh, but B, let's, you know, let, let's realize that, yeah, that's not everybody needs to know all these terms and not, certainly not everybody does know these terms. Um, that's, I think, honestly, that's one of the values that you and I add uh, almost daily because we kind of understand what people are asking about, even if they use the wrong words.
0: Exactly, and I think um, maybe I, I, I've done videos before on vocabulary and maybe I need to do one, uh, a more recent one um, because they help you. Like for instance, using the doc as an example, if you know it as the bottom menu thingy um, and you <laughs> wanna change it in some way, right. looking through your system settings for the bottom menu thingy is not going to <laughs> show you anything. But if you right. know it's called the doc, right. then instantly you're gonna see there's a whole section. That's for that. And so, just that little piece of vocabulary information that may seem like I don't need to know that to use my Mac. Well, actually, it, it will make things a lot easier. Maybe not today, right? But maybe it, like, you know, six weeks from now, there's going to be something you need to do. And that knowing that vocabulary word will actually, you know, instead of being an hour trying to figure this out, is five seconds.
1: What's like, interesting oh, is. Setting. I've thought about, I've got, for example, I have an article on the difference between um, memory, storage and RAM or storage and memory or whatever the the terms they confuse are. Um, But the problem is it's not something that most people are going to run into on their own. Um, I have it because um, as a reference article that I can point people to when they get it wrong, but they're not gonna stumble on it. And I've resisted doing Um, videos or long articles on terminology, because the people that actually will see that, you know, my subscribers uh, to either my newsletter or uh, YouTube, uh, they already know right? It's the people that are coming in afresh, you know, anew that are searching for an answer um, that are going to not necessarily understand the terminology. And while it might be nice to have a reference article that I can point them to, Mm -hmm. uh, it's not something they're going to stumble onto their their own. What I do have, and I actually need to spend a little bit more time uh, working on it, is a glossary. So I actually have, you know, if there's uh, a word in my glossary, then when that word appears in an article, the first time it appears in an article, it's got an underline and you can hover over it and see mm. the definition yeah. that I find is probably uh, you know, a really good solution for the casual visitor, the first time visitor. Um, and hopefully, you know, it'll engage them and educate them a little bit on the time. It's funny. One of the things that I have referred to uh, my, my job is answering questions but sneaking in a little education along the way because people generally I don't think are interested in being educated certainly the people you know the people don't necessarily want to know that it's called a doc but as you point out six months from now when they're trying to do something yeah and they remember you know Wasn't there a word? Yeah, there was a word for that, that will help them further down the road. So that's why I say gently, because uh, ramming education down people's throats never works. But um, at least having it be a side effect of getting their questions answered is probably not a bad approach. Yeah, indeed. Cool. No. Alrighty. righty. Wow. Speaking yeah. of cool. yeah. Uh, so after answering all these questions and after, you know, getting frustrated at people's misuse of terminology and after getting berated occasionally on YouTube, where while YouTube has gotten comments have gotten better, um, they still do seem to be a little bit wilder than the ones I get on my on the website. Um, I need therapy. And last week I mentioned uh, the hydraulic press video mm. channel. The one that I'm running across today is a shredder. and I mm. don't mean a paper shredder. I mean industrial strength shredders. So the YouTube video that I'll point to um, is actually one, I think it starts out it shreds a motorcycle. I mean that's the size wow. of the of the thing and it is very calm, very persistent, um, and obviously very powerful. I think they also, uh, I didn't watch the entire thing, but I think they also ended up shredding a manhole cover, which is also pretty impressive. Um, I just, it's its just very therapeutic to watch all of these things go in big and come out in pieces. Um, so anyway, uh, that to me, uh, my therapy for the week is uh, industrial shredders. Like I said, I have a pointer to one on YouTube. If you simply search for industrial shredder, you'll get a bunch of them on YouTube, and uh, there are a number of TikTok channels that actually do the same thing. I just keep running across them, and I just sit back and smile as I watch things get destroyed. It's wonderful.
0: Yeah, that reminds me. Uh, you know, growing up, my my father always you know liked shredding things that came into the house you know bills and all that and once they were Mm -hmm. no longer needed they had to be shredded couldn't be thrown away Mm -hmm. um but he also spent uh some time in his career working at a certain five-sided building outside of washington dc and and he used to tell about the the shredders that they would have there and this would have been like in the 70s or 80s Mm -hmm. but you could imagine the room-sized shred, probably <laughs> capable of of uh, shredding a motorcycle. No doubt, I think they would shred and incinerate.
1: Right, that's what I would hope over there is that they would actually take care of you know doing. Yeah, the whole, there was the whole nothing. Time. There
0: was nothing. There was dust left. So the, yeah.
1: one of the, I mean, I kind of inferred from your tone, and, and mm. correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, I, I have a shredder in my room. I have a paper shredder here. And it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of people don't think about this as a low tech security hole, but it kind of sort of is. Yeah. How often are we putting a bunch of private information in a box on the street that anybody could walk by and steal? Mm -hmm. Uh, So and it doesn't necessarily happen often, but dumpster diving is a thing. And it's just one of those very simple things that, you know what? If it's got some private information, some personally identifiable information in it. Um, and you know what? Even if you're just not sure, we'll run it through a shredder. What the mm-hmm. heck? Um, it's, it's a nice and secure thing to do. Yep. Um, also therapeutic, I've- by the way. We end up um, collecting paper. Uh, you know, there's a pile right now sitting next to the shredder. And at some point, um, you know, I'll just put a chair in front of the shredder and very carefully very calmly very serenely uh start shredding a bunch of stuff and it'll yeah, also I've done feel, that. feel wonderful
0: <laughs> I, I usually take it outside <laughs> in the past just because the fine paper dust that sometimes right. comes out of the shredder right. i find it was like you know i wait for a nice day <laughs> and i just <laughs> get outside and do it and let that paper dust go outside instead of being trapped in the room where i'm breathing it in all the time um and anyway um my ain't it cool was i saw uh the movie oppenheimer cool um and it, not necessarily about the movie itself which was you know uh, I, a big actor showcase it was long uh, but, wasn't it like, I, I haven't long. seen it but, yeah. it's long i mean somebody i heard somebody describe it as uh three hours of uh men talking to each other while they sit in rooms and smoke cigarettes and then 10 seconds of a bomb going off <laughs> And basically that's pretty, it's pretty close. Um, But you know, the, the big deal was like, oh, it's, I gotta see it in IMAX, IMAX Mm -hmm. laser, you know, it's like all this. And, and I tried, there is, there are a few IMAXs near me that I was, I could have gone to see it at uh, only one of which I thought was close enough for me really to be like, ah, you know, I don't want to make a big excursion out of this. And that was sold out at the time I wanted to go see it because people really wanted to see it in IMAX. So I was like, ah, forget it. I'll just, I'll, I'll let it sit for a couple more weeks. And then I noticed it was playing at a movie theater near me, not in IMAX, not in regular digital projection, or even 70 millimeter, but it was playing in 35 millimeter film. And apparently <laughs> this is another one of the ways that this film is being distributed, right. because the the movie's creator, Christopher Nolan, actually likes 35 millimeter film okay. so while a lot's been made out of the fact that they film this and edit it simultaneously in imax and with film he actually says that well if you're gonna ask me go see it in 35 millimeter film so i thought you know why not it's a movie that takes place mostly in the 1940s 50s right. and 60s um it'll add some ambiance to it isn't so it I an, did...
1: is it a black and white no oh okay so, for some reason i saw somewhere that it was
0: Yeah, so I went and I saw the movie in 35 millimeter film, and boy, it was. I haven't seen a 35 millimeter film in a while. Matter of fact, I've seen 70 millimeter film uh, more recently than I've seen a 35 millimeter uh, movie, and it was. I thought, well, maybe you you can't even tell nowadays because they probably have special like the film is really good, the projectors are really good. No, you could tell. (laughs) Oh, it was. There was. If I took the time to actually like focus my eyes on the the screen rather than like into the screen, you know, mentally, yeah, it's, it's incredible how dirty 35 millimeter (laughs) film is. I mean, but it just, to me, first of all, it didn't take anything away from the acting and the dialogue, which is what this film is really about. Um, And it was kind of a neat ambiance thing. Plus I got to sit in a movie theater with about 10 other people, as opposed to the sold out (laughs) IMAX shows that were going on, you know, a few miles away. Um, but it, but it was kind of neat that that may actually end up being like the last time in my life i ever see a 35 millimeter film considering i can't remember the last time i did right had to go out of my way i think the theater i was at actually mentioned that they are the last uh real 35 millimeter projecting fascinating theater in the area and you know they they have like a, a selection of theater rooms there and they're all regular digital projection except this one has mm-hmm. the old equipment in it and a trained projectionist that yeah because that's a in.
1: skill set that's going out of, out of style yeah. too. Then, yeah
0: you got to be yeah there's got to be an employee that is running the film as opposed to the other theaters where there's nobody there
1: it's just all automated yeah. it's
0: all yeah. automated and it's just you know shown on the screen unless something goes wrong there's nobody back there um this this you know, there was somebody back there frantically getting the next reel of however many <laughs> reels there were, you know, I'm sure there were a lot ready to go and put uh, put up there to to go. So
1: that was the big story about the IMAX version, though, is that it was apparently on film.
0: Yeah, it's on film. And uh, well, it's yeah, so big it, and
1: heavy that the many, several IMAX theaters weren't able to show it.
0: Yeah. They, and there's there's so many variations of this film. There's whole right. web pages dedicated to listening to theaters and exactly because there are three different imax versions i think there's imax regular there's imax laser then there's the imax film or maybe one maybe two of those are the same there's 70 millimeter prints going around you could see it in 70 millimeter the 35 millimeter print i saw there's regular digital projection and then there's like a higher quality digital that some theaters can do so yeah a whole variety of stuff and when the film is made anytime a film is made in IMAX and in you know regular screen ratios it's actually two different uh cameras so the cameras are actually next to each other
1: oh really I didn't know that
0: yeah so they sit there and they they've every scene was filmed with two cameras for every angle and every shot it was an IMAX camera and a regular camera pointed at the same thing, right. there were two. You know, basically, you know, edit. They had to edit everything simultaneously, right. making the same frames for the IMAX and for the regular ratio and all that. And IMAX is pretty much square; it's almost square, whereas the thirty-five millimeter and seventy millimeter would have been a more extreme ratio. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, it's interesting. And and, way too, and actually, I almost didn't go and see Oppenheimer at all because of it. Like, if it had just been, it's just a regular movie, go see it at a theater. I think I would have been like, yep, I'm going. But because of all that, <laughs> I almost said, forget it. I, I can't decide which one I'm supposed to go and see. So I just won't go.
1: Go see Barbie instead.
0: I'll see, but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> much easier decision to make what theater to go see it at. <laughs> um speaking of off. which
1: I never thought I would say this but there's a pretty good chance I'll see Barbie when it's as, as well I'm, as I'm, I will
0: I hear I'm, well, I'm Greta Gerwig such things I, about it, yeah. I think I've seen every movie she's ever made so ah, okay. this is not going to be any different um yeah. uh probably putting it off a little more than normal simply because of you know the crowded theater thing I'd, I'd rather go <laughs> you know after the theater's a little more empty just because I oh. get the seat I want in the middle yeah, you know, no, I'll
1: wait for streaming. I'll, I'll wait. I'll watch oh. it here at home, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, cool. So, uh, like I mentioned earlier, blatant self-promotion, uh, after all this time, that's still the only quote unquote ad you'll hear here. Uh, I have an article coming out the day after tomorrow as we record this. So today is Tuesday on Thursday, the article coming out on the 20th anniversary of Ask Leo is what I've learned answering questions for 20 years. It's askleo.com slash 161580. Um, And I've alluded to a couple obviously in today's episode, uh, but they're a lot and only some of it is about technology. Uh, It's actually a lot more about uh, people and relationships and even philosophy um, I think oh. if you're if you're interested in those kinds of topics and and how they dovetail from having done this kind of stuff for twenty years, you might find it an interesting article. What I've learned answering questions for twenty years.
0: All right, and my uh, video uh, that I want to point out from this week is get creative with the numbers spreadsheets. One of the main differences, if not like the biggest difference between Excel and Numbers, is Excel kind of gives you uh, or Excel gives you a big spreadsheet and you could do all sorts of things in the grid of cells Uh, numbers gives you a blank canvas and you could put tables on that canvas that multiple tables even tables that are just one cell Mm -hmm. and then you could so you could do creative things like just put numbers in space and have like arrows and graphics around them and create kind of these things that um, kind of explain how the numbers are related to each other and do calculations that you know look like they're kind of like I don't know, part of a presentation, not a spreadsheet. So Mm -hmm. just a whole like different way of like looking at how to use spreadsheets uh, in this video. Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool.
1: I know that both Numbers and Excel are incredibly powerful tools.
0: Yeah. uh, That
1: are, you know, most people use like 5% of their functionality. (laughs) Yeah. All righty. I think that wraps up number 200. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh200. If you've got a comment or a question for us, well, leave that on the show notes page. We read them. Thanks, as always, for listening, especially if you've been around for all 200 episodes. (laughs) Looking forward to keeping it going. We will see you here again real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.